Well, good evening, everyone. Um, I couldn't help but sit there and just say, Lord, I can't wait. I can't wait for the day when we all get to heaven and we'll just sing and shout the victory. Finally, free from sin and free from the evil that reigns in this world and just celebrating Jesus. Man, I can't wait for that day. Now, as you know, tonight we uh, will be having our Q&A. Um, so this is supposed to be a short sermon. I'll leave it to your discretion how short it was. But this, this evening, I, whilst I was preparing, I must say I, I was filled with joy just at the providence of God. Um, I was chatting to Isaac saying, man, maybe we should pause from 2 Thessalonians because ah, the Q&A session could take away from what we've been gleaning from 2 Thess. And when I read from, from the, the passage that we're going through, it falls right in line with our theme. Uh, so just to remind us, last week Isaac came and he shared with us about the man of lawlessness who is to be revealed before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he also told us, in fact, we are warned in this passage that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work among us. And Paul seems to be telling us, so, so whilst you wait for Jesus to come back, whilst you wait for this man of lawlessness to be revealed, what then should we as believers do? Um, so if you turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 to 17. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we'll read from verses 13 to 17. Verse 13 reads, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by God, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved, through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hope and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us, give us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. So Father, as we gather to listen to the preaching of your word, God, I pray that just that sense of joy as we sung those words, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that would be. God, we can enjoy this joy now because we have Jesus. We can enjoy this sense of peace now because when that day comes, it will be a glorious day and not a day of judgment for those who believe. But God, as we wait, I pray, God, that you train us, even as we go through this passage, to stand on your truth. So God, I pray that even as I stand here as a herald of your truth, of your word, help me, God, to speak. Help me not to speak on my own agenda, Lord, but may I speak that which you've prepared in my heart, Lord, that which you would like your people to hear, and God may be in line with your word. I pray that you bless the preaching of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So we, before we consider our first point tonight, what does, what does this, this mystery of lawlessness 
entail? Or, or, or what does the season where the mystery of lawlessness is, is sort of among us, what, what does the season entail? I had to go to First John, and First John calls this the last hour. He would say, this age is characterized by evil, as you'd see in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, and it is an age that is fueled with deception. Another thing we must note is that what, um, when, whilst we are waiting for our death, whilst we are waiting for the revelation of the men of destruction, whilst we are waiting for the return of Jesus Christ, we will still be in the midst of this evil age and in the midst of this deceptive age. So Paul is sort of answering the question. So, so whilst we're in here, whilst we're experiencing these things, what do we do? The first thing he says in verse 13 is, give thanks that you believe the truth. Paul again reinforces this binding feeling that he had in the beginning of the letter where he just felt compelled to praise God for his saving work in the hearts of believers. In chapter 1 verse 3, he says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right. Why? Because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. So remember, Paul is te- has been teaching here that, hey, there's going to be a great apostasy. And in light of this, it must be a great comfort to us. It must be a great encouragement to us believers that in the midst of this apostasy and deception and evil, God has saved for himself a remnant. That there are those who will have faith. There are those who will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And he calls them beloved. So who are they? Firstly, we see from our passage, they are chosen. Paul, in verse 13, says, God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. Church, I know this might sound weird. But it is a great comfort to know that whilst some are perishing, that whilst some will rebel against God, whilst some will turn their faces on from God to serve the gods of this age, he has elected for himself those who will stand in the face of adversity. He elected those who will persevere the onslaught of deception that we are about to face. He elected for himself those who will stand in the face of evil. In Ephesians, it says, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. He called you, he elected you, he justified you that you would live for an audience of one. And that is him. The main question for all of us who believe is, is God, is what I'm about to do, is what I'm about to say going to be pleasing to you? In Ephesians, he continues to say that in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. This is comforting because if our salvation belongs to God, it then begins with God, 
It is held together by God, and it is brought to a glorious end by God. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Church, God loved you with all your sins in full view. Your rejection, your rebellion, your willful disobedience, he saw it all, and yet he still sent the Lamb of God to take away those very sins. As you place your faith in him, to live for eternity. God planned for Jesus to come into the earth to fulfill eternity's plans to save you from the penalty of sin, but not to end it there, but also to make you more and more like Jesus. Till the day he returns when we will finally be as he is. That's the next sub-point there. They are sanctified. Those who must give thanks to God are those who are chosen and they're those who are sanctified. It says, through sanctification by the Spirit. Do you remember that day when you heard the gospel? When the penny dropped that you were a sinner deservingly headed to eternal torment? Do you remember that day when when you heard of Christ's sacrifice for you? And you placed your faith in him and in him alone for the salvation of your soul? Friends, that day the Spirit was beginning the work of salvation in you. That day you were called to obtain glory. You were called to enjoy Christ. You were called to be like Christ. You were called to confess your sins to Christ and put them to death daily. You were called to love Christ, to proclaim him, to behold his glory, and you were called to be as he is when he returns. This is what we call sanctification. God elected us, he chose you, he chose me so that he could separate us from this evil world for himself. We were tagged by the shepherd and we have visible marks of divine ownership. These marks are like the tag that you'd see on the ears of a cow, but on us, the tag that the the Savior has placed on us is the fruit of the Spirit. Church, we are to bring light, we are to bring salt, we are to bring peace to this evil world as we are a reflection of Christ. Spurgeon would say, had it been possible for you to have had salvation without sanctification, it would have been a curse to you instead of a blessing. If such a thing were possible, I cannot conceive of a more lamentable condition than for a man to have the happiness of salvation without the holiness of it. Happily, it is not possible. If you could be saved from the consequences of sin, but not from, the, from sin itself and its power and pollution, it would be no blessing to you. And church, that is why as we are being sanctified day by day, we look forward to that day when finally we'll be transformed to be as he is. The last thing we see about those who are, who are called is they believe the truth. 
God has so intended that the Spirit of God, the body of Christ, and the Word of Christ be our main agents of sanctification. There must be the belief of the truth, for without it, there can be no true sanctification, no perseverance in grace, no obtaining of salvation. Remember when Jesus prayed for his disciples? He prayed, Father, sanctify them in your truth, for your word is truth. See, God saved you from the father of lies. He saved you as you believed a lie. He saved you as you lived a lie and everything you spoke was a lie. You lived in a false sense of peace. You lived in a false sense of security. And God saved you as you lived in a false sense of hope. In fact, we were the ones who were living out of touch with reality as we didn't believe in God. We followed our pleasures, thinking that these pleasures would bring us true joy, and yet all it was was bringing us to our death. But praise God that through his spirit, he illuminated our hearts. He brought the lights on. He opened the eyes of our hearts to see and believe the truth that salvation is in Jesus Christ, and so therefore we could place our faith in him. No longer living in this false reality where we are just led to death, but we can live in actual reality where we are led to life, joy, peace, actual security in Jesus Christ. So therefore, my second point, stand firm in the truth. In verse 14, Paul writes, To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, Verse 15, so then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. There is much reason for truth today. Many are being deceived. Many are being disillusioned by myths and, and philosophies that are far from the truth. Apostasy is only going to go on the rise as progressive, postmodern, liberal, deconstructionist society looks to undo the structures of your faith. They say there is no absolute truth. They will tell you, you can and must do what feels right to you. They will tell you that anyone who tells you otherwise is backwards and out of touch with reality. Church, this is the work of the deceiver. Paul says, hey, in the midst of all of this, in the midst of a society which, which loves subjective truth and hates objectivity, the truth of God's word, in the midst of this, he says, I want you to stand firm in the truth. He says, I want you to hold on to the traditions that you were taught. Now, again, in society today, the word tradition has almost become a bad word. But I want to clarify here that what the Apostle Paul meant by, I want you to hold on to the, to the traditions. He says, hold fast to the traditions of the Apostles. Hold fast to the letters you received and the lessons you were taught from these letters, for from these rests the word of God. 
God spoke through these men that we would receive his word. So Paul tonight is calling us to stand firm on the word of God. As we have the complete canon, as we have that which the apostles have written for us, let us hold firmly to the word of God and hold tightly to the traditions that, have, that they have given us to live Christ-like lives. But remember, in chapter 2, Paul gave us other reasons why we need to stand firm. In chapter 2, he told us, hey, church in Thessalonica and church in Acadia, Pretoria tonight, you will have to stand firm, you will have to hold fast to the traditions because you will suffer many trials and tribulations. Sadly, even those that you are suffering right now may only continue. So in the midst of your suffering tonight, in the midst of your trial tonight, my challenge, my encouragement to you is hold firmly to God's word. He also says, hold fast or hold firmly to God's word because judgment is coming. You will be avenged. Thirdly, uh, he, he taught us, hold firmly to God's word because of the strength of the coming deception. Deception is coming, so we need to arm ourselves with truth. And lastly, hold firm to God's word because of our glorious destiny. As Isaac shared with us last week, we already know how the story ends. Jesus is victorious. You see, we live in a world today where everyone has an opinion about everything, which is a scary thing to say when you're about to go to Q&A. <laughs> but everyone has an opinion on everything, and everyone thinks that they are right about their opinions on everything. But we need to remember that the devil's greatest weapon is deception. He keeps, he keeps many blinded in their folly that they may only grow stronger to opposition of God's word. Our responsibility, believers, is to love God's word and to live in it. Our responsibility is to memorize God's word and to apply God's word. And as you are growing in God's word, teach God's word so that God may transform hearts as only he can through the ministry of his spirit and his word. Church, we need to grow in the knowledge of the truth. There are many who will use Christianese. It sounds so familiar. They use a couple of verses. It sounds right. But if you don't know God's word, you too will be easily deceived. Church, we need to grow in our knowledge of the truth that we can give a reasonable defense for the faith which we hold to so dearly. We agree to have this Q&A tonight because... We believe in the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture. We believe that all the answers we need to know about life and about godliness has been revealed in this book. So believer, come back. Come back to God's Word. Come back to being so saturated in God's Word that you are like a sponge. As the world squeezes you, you only drip truth. So as I shared, Paul wraps up all um, the chapters with a prayer. And that's my final point. A prayer for service in the truth. Verse 16 to 17, he says, 
And may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Notice the Apostle Paul there says, and establish them in every good work and word. He didn't say in every good word and work. See, Paul was praying that the church would not get caught up in words and no deeds. See, there are many Christians who are, who are full of knowledge. Essentially, when I wrote this, I said there are many Christians who are big-headed. And I was like, that won't sound well. But there are many Christians who are like a balloon and, and their heads just keep swelling with knowledge and knowledge and they just get puffed up. But there's no fruit in their lives. They, they are more concerned about eschatology, ecclesiology, angiology, and all the ologies. But once the pastor preaches about the mortification of, of, of their flesh, they lose interest. You see, Paul's prayer here is that May the God who loves us, may the God who saved us, the God who comforts us with the reality of eternity, the God who gives us hope in his grace, that this God would be the God who helps us to be those who works out their faith with fear and trembling. May we be those who show their love for God's word through living it out. May we be those who show the fruit of 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? That the, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. May this be true of us. Let's pray. Oh, God, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that you have revealed yourself to us. Thank you, God, that we can know you. And, God, you also revealed how we can have fellowship with you through your son, Jesus Christ. So, God, as the Apostle, as the Apostle Paul said, it is right. I again tonight want to just give you praise and glory for the evidence of salvation present here at Central. I thank you, God, for every believer that is saved here tonight. I thank you, Lord, for every believer who shows fruit of the Spirit in their lives. That God, they indeed are those who are chosen, are those who are being sanctified by you. God, I pray that you'd help us to be those who love your truth. God, in a world where... Lord, there is a lot that we're being fed. Help us, God, to know your word. God, may your word always be sweet. Lord, may your word always be the ground on which we stand. But God, help us not be those who just know your word but don't apply it. Help us, Lord, to apply your word in our lives. But God, most importantly, help us to also share your word to those who haven't heard. And God, I also want to take an opportunity to pray tonight that if there is one here tonight who doesn't know you, Lord God, won't you please save them by your word? 
Lord, won't you reveal Jesus to them, that God, they would see how sinful they are in need of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God, won't you please save them and draw them to yourself and give them your spirit who will help them to persevere the evil of this age. So Lord, be with us, strengthen us, and Lord, may we find great joy in you. In Christ's name I pray, amen.